It is really good to see you. I'm glad you chose to be with us today. Speaking of chose, we are in I Choose. This is the last week of a series that we've been in together. This is our fourth week. If this is your first Sunday here, we're glad you're here. You didn't come to the end of the movie where you don't know what's going on. Every one of these messages is a standalone. And if you like what you hear today, you might want to check out the other three episodes of I Choose. Our choices matter far more than we realize. The challenge of this series has to been to point us to the kinds of choices that take us beyond just self-help. There's a lot of choices we make that are self-help choices, but we've been looking at going beyond self-help. So today we're looking at, I choose the important over the urgent. Important over urgent. We're going to start a little video here that is a loop that I wondered if you identify with a little bit. You've heard of the metaphor, I've been spinning a lot of plates. Well, this is a visual. I'm going to burn this into your psyche. Ready? Here we go. How many of you can relate to this, where your schedule is filled with all kinds of urgent things, and you're busy spinning each of those plates to make sure you can get it all in? I picked a few words, just as suggestive words. I don't know that your list is like that list. You're trying to make sure you're keeping your relationship going with your spouse. You're, you're doing all the demands of the work. You're just making sure kids still love you because you're not working all the time, and you're just trying to keep each of the plates spinning. How many of you relate to that? You ever drop a plate? Because you got so many urgent things going on, and we just got to, whoa, 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 I'm about to drop a plate. So you drop one urgent matter to go to another urgent matter. <clears throat> and most of us know what it's like. We live in this zone where we got a, a list going on. We've got to figure out which one is the most urgent. We pr- bring it up to the top, all right? How many of you, by the way, just, you cannot relate to this. You're totally balanced. Man, I was going to envy you and say, how do you do it? But we're going to learn some things about how we do it. But we're going to go beyond just taking your urgent list and reprioritizing them so that you deal with the most urgent. That's too simple. We're going to talk about how there are important things that are not time sensitive. They don't feel urgent. But if you don't do something about those important things, pretty soon they become part of that urgent thing. And you want to deal with those important things long before they're so pressing and urgent. Here's a few examples. I know it's hard to listen to me while you're watching this, but let it burn in. Let it get in your brain because this is what we're talking about in our lives. Here's some examples. It's a little different now with newer cars, but in older days, you know, it wasn't really all that urgent. You didn't feel a sense of urgency that you should every so often change the oil. You know, that's just regular maintenance. If you don't do the important things, soon it gets urgent because something goes wrong because the oil is just not meant to keep going and going and going, neither is your car, and so you've got to do some important maintenance. Relationships are like that. Your relationship with your spouse is like that. If you treat your spouse like, I don't really need to spend a lot of time there and build relationship, you know, there's a maintaining and a building relationship cycle that is not urgent. It doesn't feel urgent like some of the other time-sensitive areas do. How about your relationship with your kids? If you don't spend time with your kids as you're growing up because you're so busy providing, you've got to provide for them, and so you're not really getting to know them and spending quality time with them. It starts to show up later with uh, negative attention-getting efforts, because negative attention is better than no attention. And it even gets worse when bitterness sets in 
and they're teenagers, and you don't even know me, and you start to hear these things like, what, what? And it's because you haven't been dealing with what's important. I want this lesson today to really feel like it's touching where you live, so here's the reflect, and I want you to do something about this reflect in a moment. No matter what, time gets filled with something. What fills your time shapes your life. Every one of us have been allotted the same amount of time every day. It's like an equalizer. It's like the super successful person doesn't get 30 hours a day, and that's why he's successful. No, everybody gets the same amount of time a day. By the way, how many of you wish there was 30 hours in a day? Mm, You really think so? If you're not managing the 24 (laughs) really well, do you think that the reason why you're struggling with the 24 might just be amplified, you'll be struggling with the 30 if you're given a few more, because managing that time and how you do the time is actually managing your life. So here's the question for today. What important matters are you neglecting? Right now, I want you to take your outline out if you have an outline or your app out where you're taking notes. And write something down so that today is very meaningful to you because there are important things that are not time sensitive that you need to make sure you're not neglecting. Um, We talk about spouse and kids and maybe you're not married. There are important relationships that you have that they're not pressing. There's not time sensitivity there. Are you going to build those relationships? Maybe you're a mentor. Who's going to Build that relationship if it's not you. It's not pressing on you. What are you going to do? So what is it going to be for you that you need to address where your important matters that you are neglecting? The rest of today, we're going to look at that question, how to choose the important over the urgent. By the way, if you don't choose to do investment in those important things, eventually they become urgent things. Did you catch that? Crisis urgent. So you didn't spend time with the kids. You didn't really build that relationship. Now they're teenagers. You can't figure out what just went off in you. Why do you hate me so much? There's bitterness. There's hurt. There's pain. You haven't built bridges. And there's things going on there. So it becomes crisis if you're not dealing with the important things early. And now we're going to look at Jesus to learn from Jesus. He had a very, very busy life. And maybe um, you think, oh, how could he be busy? He didn't have a phone. He didn't have social media. He didn't have an electronic leash. He didn't have constant demands. He just walked around with his buddies and taught whenever he taught. Oh, oh, oh. We're going to take a look at just how busy his life was, and we're going to learn how to move beyond where we're living and ask God into that equation. And we're going to learn this from Jesus. Point number one, maintain margin. I hate a page that has no margin. It's like too intimidating, okay? If you have word, words all the way across, from edge to edge, top to bottom, first of all, I think if I created it, it's like not going to print. All my words are going to be off the printable area, right? There's going to be missing elements. Think of a magazine page. It's a beautiful layout because the picture and the blocks of print have all this margin. It just looks appealing. I want to read some more or look at the next picture. Whatever. You're just drawn in. No margin does not draw you in. Now we're going to take a look at Jesus' life and how 
he felt what you feel when you're spinning plates and what he did about it. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 45, where we read this interesting phrase, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. What's going on here is that Jesus just healed a man who had the disease of leprosy, and in that day, that was a horrible disease for many reasons. One, it was visible. Two, it was communicable. And three, it was a socially ostracized disease because you didn't want to catch it, so you just stayed away. And so you were a lonely life um, in a diseased condition, and everything was bad. Jesus healed this guy, and then he says this very sternly, don't tell anybody how you got healed. I read that and I go, yeah, right. And that's exactly what happens. He just blah, 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 blah. Tells everybody how he was healed, who healed him, and it's just amazing. And this is the result. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed out in lonely places. What is he doing here? The crowds are coming. Well, if he can heal him, he can heal me. And they're just pressing in on him, and Jesus no longer has any margin in his life. So what does he do? He works at creating margin to have a little breathing space so there's not constantly addressing the crowds, so he stays out in lonely places. Even that doesn't work because they come out to those lonely places, and they're pressing on Jesus. But he's creating margin here. So if you live a marginless life, and you just schedule from morning till dark, and you're fitting in as much as you can, learn from Jesus, stop, figure out what you're going to say no to, and create some margin. Things got very difficult quickly. We're going to jump to Mark chapter 3, verse 20. So sometimes he comes out of the lonely places, and he's got to eat, so he figure, okay, crowds can't go into a house, so Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered. They're just pressing in on the doorways, and they're asking him to do stuff, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Never happened to me. You know, that's a busy life where even your eating time is taken away. No margin. It's craziness that's going on. One time, it was so bad that he says, we can't teach here. The crowds are constantly pressing in on me. One time, there was a lady that's kind of shimmying through the crowd and eventually touches, thinking in her head, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And she was right. She touched him and, and she was healed. And then she goes away in the crowd, and nobody knows what happened except Jesus. Jesus goes, who touched me? And the disciples go, everybody's touching you. In this crowd, you're asking that question, who touched me? What's interesting is Luke's comment is that Jesus felt power leave him when that person in faith touched him. Now, I, I want to ask this question when I read stuff like that. So when Jesus does a miracle, does it take a toll on his physical limited energy space being, I think that's possible. I'm hearing music. This is really a sacred moment or something? Are you hearing that? All right. Got it solved? Thank you. All right. Let's jump to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. All the crowds are pressing, pressing, pressing. So he does a trick thing. It's cool. He gets in a boat 
and then he gets offshore in the lake, and so the crowds only go up to the water. They don't want to get their robes all wet. So they all crowd up to the shoreline, and Jesus teaches like all day long. He teaches the parables and teaches all this stuff, and it's a great long day of teaching. And then he says this. That day, let's see. Do, 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 do. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's verse 35, Mark 4, 35, let us go over to the other side. He's creating margin again. Got to get some space. Got to get away from this crowd. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Skip to verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, dot, dot, dot. Now, if you're really familiar with this story, don't answer out loud. If you're not really familiar with the story, we have to ask the question, so what's he doing in the stern? We got this storm going on, and he's in the stern of the boat. What's he doing there? Is he just planning out his next move? Is he praying? He's trying to figure out what's going to happen and asking God, okay, what are we going to do next? Well, let's keep reading. Here's what's happening. He's sleeping. This guy is utterly exhausted. Now, how do we know he's utterly exhausted? I mean, we read this. He's sleeping on a cushion in this boat where the squall came up. Okay, so like if you have somebody that's really sleeping hard and you want to wake him up, what do you do? Shake, right? The boat's shaking. It's like a squall's going like this. It's not waking him up. Okay, throw some water on him. The water is coming over. It's like it's not waking him up. He is exhausted from his over-busy, marginless life, pressing, 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 has just a little breathing space in a boat, and he's sleeping. So, what wakes him up? Not water, not shaking, but the disciples wake him up. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Wow. This is exhaustion, the ultimate picture of exhaustion. By the way, probably hard for you to understand this, but I can just say it anyway. Even when I was young, public speaking was exhausting. Even when I was young, when I was in shape, loved basketball, and still could play. If I played basketball for as long as I publicly speak, I would be energized, whereas public speaking drains me. I mean, I could play and play and play all morning long. It's like, hoo-hoo, let's go. But if I speak publicly, especially the truths and the importance and the tensions and where people are not believing what I'm saying necessarily and I see it as battle and I'm there, I am so wiped out, drained, I've got to reboot. It's just like, that's the nature of it. Jesus understood that on steroids, can I say that? <laughs> he knew what that was like because he saw the battle. This was life and death for all involved, and he was involved in this battle in a very dramatic way. He was exhausted. Now, as we keep reading, it's really weird. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39, chapter 4, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. If you keep reading, these disciples are afraid they're going to die. Now they're freaked out. Totally freaked out. It's one thing to have a natural thing taking place here. Now you just had a supernatural thing taking place. They go, who is this guy? And they're freaked out. I want to just slow down for a moment because this is all we're going to do with this. Take a look at the word rebuked. How weird is that? He's rebuking an inanimate, natural thing. Wind. Wind. 
I rebuke you, waves. I rebuke you, be quiet. And they respond. What do you do with that? Now, here's just a couple of ideas I'm going to throw out for you, okay? Not every natural disaster is an act of God. Track with me. Sometimes people are blaming God for every natural disaster. No, 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 no. Not every natural disaster is an act of God. Here is God's son rebuking a natural disaster. And here's my point. And Jesus knows what's going on. Here's a reflect. We have an enemy who will do all he can to keep you so exhausted and distracted you fail to do anything really important. He had an enemy that would look for an opportune time in his life, even after his early temptations, where he would come at him and make it harder for him, and this is one of those times. He's so utterly exhausted, he can sleep in that condition, and the enemy's trying to make it so, no, I'm not going to let you sleep here. You're going to go nuts. I'm going to keep you awake here. I'm going to mess you up, and he just goes, enough. I see what's going on. I rebuke you. And of course, Jesus' authority is greater than the authority of the enemy, and then the seas go glassy. It's like, whoa. Now, the takeaway for you is this. You have an enemy that is going to mess with your life. Maybe you're thinking about all these different crisis things in your life, and you're taking it on as like, I, sh- I need to do better. Maybe it's not all you. Maybe you have an enemy that's trying to mess with you with so many crises, so many distractions, so many things that he's trying to keep you in a place where you never can accomplish the important things that God is calling you to. What are you going to do about that? This is important for us to consider. We're going to jump back to Mark chapter 1. In verse 29, we read this, as soon as they left the synagogue, now just in case you're not sure what a synagogue is, that was a Jewish church meeting. So it'd be kind of like this, but in a Jewish setting on a Saturday. We're going to look at the busy church day for Jesus. Now this church day was weird because I hate it when this happens. When church should be all joyful and celebratory and worshipful, This one that he was in kind of turned into a horror flick, a little thriller, where it became sinister and evil, and what took place is he's preaching with authority, great things are taking place, and then a demon-possessed man stands up, interrupts a whole meeting, and confronts him and says, who do you think you are? Are you here to destroy us and cause us to flee? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus sternly says, be quiet and come out of him. And then, with a shriek that is unhuman, There's this loud shriek. This guy flops to the ground, starts, and then he goes peaceful. He says, what just happened? What just happened? The demon's gone. The horror movie's over. But you can believe that everybody walked away from church going, wasn't that interesting? (laughs) And while Jesus goes off to lunch, man, they're all going off to lunch. Whoa, that was the most, he has authority. Not only teaches with authority, he has authority that's bigger than demons. Well, can you believe it? And just this, this stuff's going on so fast, it just causes a nightmare of a day. Let's continue in this day, and we pick up the reading. As soon as they left church, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law, this is Simon Peter, by the way, bet you didn't even know he had a mother-in-law. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her, so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her. 
and she began to wait on them. So it went from total sick, fever, invalid, to now she's serving them, making their meal, doing everything great, which makes me wonder, is this another one of those energy drain situations? He just had an exhausting day of battle in church. He comes to need to do a miracle. We know about other times when a miracle takes place, he feels power drained from him. Is that taking place? It doesn't say. But then when we keep reading, we read verse 32, that evening after sunset. Now, this is really important, and we usually miss it because we're not Jewish. So this is the Sabbath. This is their worship day. They worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. They worshiped on Saturday. Why? Because God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day was a rest day. That was a day to worship the God who is the creator. Now, something even bigger than creation took place when Jesus now is the creator-redeemer. And so a huge shift in history took place, which says something happened. That's a different sermon. Um, right here, though, that evening after sunset, so sunset is the end of Sabbath, all the people now are free to do something besides rest. So they all come to Jesus with every single friend they talked about, this Jesus fellow with. The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So if they know who he was, why wouldn't you let him speak? The Jews were not ready for who he really is. They're just expecting a Messiah, earthly king, who's going to overthrow the Romans. That's what they think it means. This is bigger than that. And he's going to be crucified too fast if this gets out too fast. Mark 1, verse 35. Now, after all of that, on a Sunday, you'd think he'd sleep in. I mean, he's, he's exhausted. That was a huge day. Teaching, a horror Sunday, demons cast out. Then it's like battle after battle after battle. Crowds coming, no room to breathe. Miracles and healings and more battles. Late at night, he finally goes to bed. You'd... Give the guy a break. Let him sleep in. No, no, no. Jesus knows this, and you need to know this too. Sleep cannot fix your problem with neglecting important things. So what does he do? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed Okay, so point number one, you absolutely need to make margin. Now you're ready for point number two. Choose a time and place daily appointment with God. If you want to deal with a life that's out of control and bring it back under the control of God where you can accomplish very important things. By the way, Jesus accomplished the most important things any human being has ever accomplished in a lifetime, and it was a short lifetime. If you want to accomplish anything important, you've got to get a hold of this. Choose a time and place daily appointment with God. For Jesus, it was before it was even sunrise. No alarm. He got up before sunrise. For Jesus, he knew this is bigger than sleep. We keep reading this. In Mark 1, 36 and 37, Simon and his companions went to look for him. Why? And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. The same parade with a different crowd, 
is pressing even larger with more needs. This thing is growing and growing and growing on him. And Jesus knew he needed to get perspective from his father. What am I to do about this? I'm not really coping with this. This is, what do we do? And praying about this. What do you want me to do? And so, point number three. Prioritize. Ask God to help you. Now, by way of review, I ask you to consider looking at Jesus' life as a template for yours. Consider Jesus as your model. If Jesus needs to get up early to pray to solve his time management, urgency versus important crisis, you do too. Who do you think you are? You think you can do this on your own? You've got more skills than Jesus? You can do this on your own? Jesus couldn't even do it on his own. He would go to the Father to learn about what he needs to do to prioritize. Now, this is cool what we discover here. In verse 38, we discover what Jesus was praying about, where Jesus replied after they asked, everybody's looking for you. He says, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus was able to decide, no, all this urgency, there's people that haven't been healed, there's people that need me, there's people that don't even know the hope, but they've all heard the message that I've given, but they are still pressing, wanting more and more and more. I've come for something bigger than this, and this is really important. The Father says to me, no, you're done here. Everybody crowding in doesn't know they're done. They want more. This is pressing, this is urgent. And Jesus knows, no, I'm done here. I do what my father says. I do what my father prioritizes. The only way you get clarity like this is if you have this daily habit in a time and place where you're asking God to help you with these priorities. Take your list before God and talk to God about your list. Ask God to help you prioritize and maybe some important things aren't even on your list and have him tell you you're neglecting this one. Set this aside. This one's not urgent, but it's far more important. Do this. If you don't have that time and place, prayer time, you're never going to hear the quietness of God's voice leading you and putting your life back together. Ask God to help you. Point number four, do first what matters most. Do first what matters most. And we need to kind of move ahead here. Point number five, be proactive. If you're not familiar with that word, that means that you need to act before it's so urgent you have to act. You need to act before somebody puts that urgency there. Important stuff is not going to make it happen. Nobody tells you to have a time and place meeting with God. Nobody tells you to meet with your kids. Nobody tells you you need a date night with your wife. Nobody tells you to do these really important things. They're not urgent. They're absolutely important. Nobody tells you to invest in this person's life that you're pouring into their life and helping them to get to know God. This is the important thing that God brings to you, and you need to be proactive before it's urgent. I need to do something about this before it becomes an urgent thing. That's proactive. If you're only responding to the urgent things, you're just reactive. 
You wait for this happens, you fix that fire. This fire comes up, you fix that thing. This thing comes up, this thing. If you live that way, you'll always be reacting to all the crisis in your life. If you do the important things, there's actually a smaller list of crises. Really important to recognize. Point number six, schedule the important stuff. Schedule the important stuff. You're already scheduling the urgent stuff. There are time demands. And important stuff will become urgent if you don't schedule it. I'm talking about scheduling those things that are not urgent. Years ago, when I ran across these ideas for the first time, I tried to figure out how to be proactive, and I literally scheduled an appointment with my daughter who was young. We went out to dinner together, daddy-daughter time or lunch together. I used to go pick her up from school. We'd go to lunch. We'd just connect. And I scheduled it, and I made it a recurring schedule. I filled that slot in my calendar. Your calendar is your good friend. When people start to schedule all kinds of other stuff for you, sorry, that's a, that time block schedule. I can't do that appointment. I already have that appointment. With my son, I scheduled an ongoing project so we would have this weekly thing to do together, an ongoing project. Those were investments that didn't have to be scheduled, but proactively in scheduling. I'm glad I did. It's part of investment in relationship building. Now I'm looking for ways to schedule stuff with grandchildren and others. Schedule. Use your calendar. Create artificial deadlines. Here's a reflect. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. So when everybody's demanding a little piece of you, you look at your schedule of what's important, and your calendar's your best friend. Nope, can't do it then. Nope, can't do it then either. That's my family time. You don't have to say why. That day's blocked off. I'm sorry, it's really, really important. Can't do it then. Can't do it then. Okay, let's find a time we can schedule the important stuff. Did you know that at the end of Jesus' life, he prayed this really unbelievable prayer? In John chapter 17, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. In less than 24 hours, he hung on a cross for you and me and shouted this victory cry that sounded to some who didn't get it, like it was defeat, but it was a shout of victory. It is finished. He accomplished the most important thing in his life ever, the most important thing any human being ever could accomplish in his lifetime. God has an important list of things for you, an important set of people for you, an important calling for you to make a difference. Follow Jesus' example. Here's a prayer that I want us to think about and then pray it if you'd like. Dear Jesus, you lived a short life here on earth, yet accomplished the most important work of all. Thank you for valuing people so much. Thank you for valuing me. I want to live more like you. I want to think more long-term and people first. Help me to refocus on what matters most. Amen.
Let's stand together. If that's a prayer you're willing to pray, you're crying out to God to help you choose the important things when they don't seem all that demanding and you keep putting them off. Here we go. Ready? Dear Jesus, you lived a short life here on earth, yet accomplished the most important work of all. Thank you for valuing people so much. Thank you for valuing me. I want to live more like you. I want to think more long-term and people first. Help me to refocus on what matters most. Amen. Amen? Now, if you have a crisis-filled life and you would just like somebody to help carry that in prayer, we got a prayer team here. If you have any other need that you want prayer about, we got a prayer team here to pray for you. Go get prayer. I want to give you a little sneak peek. We're starting a whole new series next week. It's called Mastermind. Change your thinking, change your life. Mastermind. Change your thinking, change your life. Hope to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great day. Oh, yeah.